Welcome to the EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. Welcome back to the EDU Podcast from... Puerto Rico. <laughs> Today we have Ken Kamineski and, of course, Rob Grimm. Good morning. Buenos dias. But unfortunately, we lost Sen. Sen lost his glasses in the ocean yesterday, and he's <laughs> in a Walmart in Puerto Rico getting a prescription for Not true. They can't find a prescription for him, so they're getting him a guide dog. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to have his own service dog, which Ken decided should be a Bichon. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be perfect. We, re- we recently met Ken Kamineski, actually, uh, in Cologne, and that night... We rookies didn't have any cash, and Ken graciously <laughs> bought us Thai food. It's, it's payback time. <laughs> uh, so, Ken, thank you for coming down all the way to Puerto Rico from Canada. Thank you so much for so having that's me. That's a long trek. Just Actually, he came from the U.S. I came from the U.S. now. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's an American now. Living kind of. and breathing and functioning fully in the United States oh. of America. I, for some reason, thought you guys were living in Canada. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope. So where Not do you much. live? In Connecticut, just in above Connecticut. New York. Oh, okay. That's close enough to Canada. It's the same thing. <laughs> it may as well be it's Canada. the same distance. It's the same distance. I'm still it's a socialist. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to America. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> to Trump land. Yeah, yeah. well, oh. hello. <laughs> on to the next thing. <laughs> so, Ken, give, us, give our audience a little background on what you do, because it's pretty much the coolest thing ever. Well, thank you. Um, that is kind of the way I look at it too sometimes, especially on the fun parts of what I get a chance to do, which is travel around the world, um, see amazing places, meet incredibly cool people, um, and just have the time of my life with you know, taking beautiful pictures of places that inspire me to want to continue to the next place and the next place after that. And uh, I feel very grateful to be in a position to do that. It's been a lot of hard work to get to this point. Uh, and I get a lot of people, you know, talking to me and emailing me and asking me how they can do it. And uh, I think they they have this misconception about the, the the realities of working, you know, that hard to get to do something you love that much. Um, so part of the job that I get to do is all those fun, cool things, uh, experiencing cultures, uh, eating great food in places that I've you know never ever dreamt about visiting, um, getting a chance to you know sit down with local people and have honest conversations with them, photograph them, photograph those amazing places that are travel icons, and then working really hard to find you know, unique ways to be able to see the world and share that with people who follow me by you know, reading my blog and going onto social media and all that kind of fun stuff that we have a chance to do now to share the, the work that we do. And that certainly wasn't what I was doing for most of my career, so this has been a big career shift for me in terms of what I used to do back starting in the 1990s to today. Uh, getting a chance to you know travel around the world, and obviously you didn't start as a as a travel adventure photographer. And what would you call yourself? And what is your style of photography? Yeah, you know, I guess just is it definable? Is it you know is it definable? I guess travel photographer is just the the simplest way to put it. It doesn't sound adequate enough that that particular term, I guess, because you go to some really amazing places. We do, and we're fortunate. You know, and I say we because now it's not just me. I'm in a position where I take amateur photographers with me all over the world on photography tours that I run, and I've been doing that for the last four years as well, which has been a big part of, of what I'm trying to accomplish, and uh, 
I'm just launching a new company in a couple of weeks called Discovery Photo Tours. And uh, I'm really thrilled about that. So if you want to head on over to discoveryphototours.com. <laughs> I'm really excited nice that plug. Ken's taken us on his first trip. I know, it's going to be awesome. awesome. And I feel really excited. <laughs> Note to that. self and remind the guys that the trip is fully booked up. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So how did you, that sounds like a logistical nightmare. Like traveling to another country with all these people and you have to have certain insurance, like what does that look like? How did you get to that C- point? Certain what? Like, tr- isn't there like insurance a insurance and, uh, for yeah. like a... You, you do? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. right. Note to Ken, ha- Ken has studying to do, apparently. Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it can be. Um, but fortunate, um, you know, I work with a business partner who has a serious business background who's not in uh, the photography world. He comes from a successful career and has retired at a young age to be able to follow his passions in photography now and do something really cool on the business side of a photography company. So that's certainly something that is an absolute bonus for us. You know, when people who are young photographers come to me and ask me, what can I do to, you know, make sure that I can have a sustainable career in photography for years to come? My first answer and and only answer, if that's going to be like that one question is take business courses. It's a business. You know, yes, you get a chance to take beautiful pictures. Yes, it's an art form and all that cool stuff. But you're not going to be having clients who are photographers and artists. They're going to be people who are cutthroat, you know, business yep. people, and very savvy in terms of how to deal with people who, um, you know, n- love what they do and probably do it for free. Yep. And that's one of the things that artists have to learn is to say no to things and stand up for their rights and believe in their copyright and do all those things that make sure that they can continue to have a sustainable career in this business. Um, so this is what's really cool about having a partner now who has that kind of a background, who can steer the ship a little bit more. And it's not just me in terms of photographers that are going to be leading these tours. We have photographers from all over the world, from Australia, from Norway, from the U.S. and Canada, um, who are going to be leading these tours with us. And we're going to make sure that uh, we team people up who do things in a different way, who can share unique perspectives uh, and, and teach people also on these tours in front of some of the most amazing scenes they're ever going to see. And that's a privilege to me. So yes, there's a lot of logistical nightmares in terms of you know the restaurants and the hotels and the flights and the food and the, uh, you know just transportation inland and all that kind of stuff. But we work with people in all those destinations that we go to. And those are companies are vetted and, and they're wonderful people to work with. And uh, How do you develop those re- relationships? When you're going to a country you've never been before, how do you find partners there that are going to help you with all the logistics when you don't know them? A lot of times it's the tourism boards and the governments that are very happy to share those kinds of... Uh, so you, ha- you have direct contact with governments to, to talk with them about who how to get in their country and, and make it work? Oh, in some places, absolutely. In some places, those are actual clients as well. Uh, in other places, it goes through um, organizations like the Ad- Adventure Travel Trade Association, um, who has members all over the world in terms of tour operators. And again, those members get a chance to talk on the forums that they have online. And there's you know, world congresses for the ATTA that um, people can meet from all over the world and, and go and do networking sessions. And I went down to one in Mexico, I think it was 2012, and I mean, the president of Mexico opened up the, the whole thing. So oh, wow. it's, it's a big deal. Oh, cool. Travel is huge for so many countries. And when you take a look at countries like Mexico and uh, let's take a look at Iceland now, where we run tours. You know, the the percentage of the GDP that comes from travel 
Yeah, it's an economic boom. Is it just me or did Iceland blow up in the last five years? Oh, yeah. Before, before five yeah. years ago, I didn't see anyone going there at all. No, it's been. Like within the last few years, yeah. especially, like everyone is going on their Iceland trip. Yeah. And it's like pretty affordable. It, it's it's not the cheapest place once you're there. It's cheap to get there now, which yeah. is great. There's a lot of airlines that are offering discount fares right. to Iceland, like Wow Airlines and, and that kind of stuff. So that's cool. That opens up. Then there's more. Um, more destinations that you can travel direct flights to. So like in Canada, where I'm from now, from Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto, and Halifax, you can go. From the States, I know Denver, um, Boston, New York. Um, trying to think, but nothing's happened. Uh, <laughs> it's day three. It's day, yeah. it's, we've been here the for three days. coming out of years. It's okay. <laughs> so yeah, that just makes it really easy to get there now. Uh, and once you're there, there's a lot of tour companies that can, you know, you don't even have to book anything seriously. But if, if you are looking to go, you know, well, you should come with me, of course, because yeah. that would be an honor to have you join us. Um, but at the same time, it, it's it's there and it's available for anyone who wants to just even go for, you know, a few days. Um, because just around Reykjavik, there's the Golden Circle and uh, tons of beautiful things yeah. to, to see and photograph. And yes, in the last five years, it's completely blown up. And I'd like to think that that has a little bit to do with uh, my colleagues and I, who have been going there and photographing the daylights out of uh, yeah. Iceland and sharing that and making that blow up on social media and inspiring people. And I'm to, sure it has been this, directly know. related to you guys, no doubt. We can see it. You know, If you take a look on 500px or on Instagram yeah. or places that really celebrate photography online now, uh, I think that's something that's spectacular is to see like, you know, they got that shot or the shot from this place. And uh, I'd like to start seeing even myself stop looking at that and try and think outside the box a bit and not just always go and get that particular shot that yeah. is so iconic. It's great to get it. But this is why I want to start looking at other locations in Iceland, which is still largely undiscovered on the interior. Uh, the north is not as explored as the south and, and the west. So there's still room for tons of exploration there. and. Uh, they need to, and they are, they need to build many more hotels. Oh, I yeah. think they're doubling the amount of hotel rooms right now wow. in the country. Uh, but you have to remember, it's a small country, 300,000 people. Uh, it looks bigger on the map because the Mercator maps stretch everything at the top. And so it's about the size of Kentucky. It's not that big. No, not at all. And oh, wow. you can drive around it relatively quickly, and the road is pretty darn good uh, in terms of getting around. The road. It's a singular road that goes around the country? It's called the Ring Road, yeah. All right. Ring road. One ring to rule the all. <laughs> <laughs> So where else do you go? Like, where else is this uh, company going to take people? Where are your tours? Um, we're starting off with Italy next year, Iceland, uh, Norway, um, Vietnam, Namibia, and looking to grow exponentially from there on. And so we're we're thinking about. I'd love to, of course, run something in, in Western Canada, up in the Rockies. I think that's going to be something that's very close to my heart. Uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world mm -hmm. is Banff and Jasper National Parks up in Canada. Uh, and just wonderful fodder for photography, and this is all seasons too. So it's, there's, there's gonna, I'd love to do something in the winter there. Uh, I think that's that's something that's going to be worked on very hard in the next few years. Japan, New Zealand, Patagonia are all places that are on our radar. Scotland, Ooh, Patagonia, oh man. Yeah, yeah I've wanted I've wanted to go there. So what do people get when they sign up? Is it just a flat fee and you take care of everything? What do they got to do? They, they get a little baggie full of uh, treats. Um, <laughs> no, actually, they, this is an all-encompassing thing. This is what I really love about it is that you come with us and we take care of you. It, it's a, like an all-inclusive trip for photographers. But we don't just want you to go and take photos. In fact, some of the first things I say on each tour is during the course of the time that you're going to be here with us, make sure that you put your camera down once in a while. And 
you know, talk to people and breathe and just savor the moment. Take in the sights. Yep. Yeah. Have those photos mean something. Have the photographs be the memory triggers a year later to, to all those wonderful experiences you've had. Because if your experiences are simply taking photos all the time, that's kind of dull. Yeah. Um, but you're here <coughs> with, you know, 11, 12, 13 other people uh, who have this common shared passion for travel, for photography, for the history of a place. And so what we do too is we make sure that you do have that life experience and it's not just all about photography. We get local guides who have you know extensive knowledge in the history of a place. So if we go to uh, a town like Florence, we'll, we'll have a city tour during the middle of the day when it's not so great for photography purposes. And they take us around and go to the Uffizi Museum and, and the Academia, and we get a story about the Statue of David and Michelangelo, and we eat at epic restaurants. And you know, these people have you know master's degrees in uh, art history or, or Roman history and, and Renaissance history, and they just tell these beautiful stories. And we do the same thing at the Vatican Museum, at the Colosseum. We have an archaeologist that takes us through there and goes to the Roman Forum and explains to us, you know, what used to be where and what the purpose was of each building. And so cool. It's really fascinating to be able to see all this kind of stuff and, and then to experience it as well. And then the food is another thing we really want people to enjoy and understand what local traditional cuisine is like and to have a culinary experience where you can uh, you know, get a sense of Tuscany, how that's different from the food that you're going to have in Liguria, where we go to Cinque Terre on the Riviera and then have mostly seafood and uh, pesto, which is, originates from, from Liguria. And we do the same thing in Iceland. We do the same thing, you know, when I've done tours in Japan and Namibia. The game meat there, the antelope meat, is just wonderful. Hmm. It's, uh, and you know, this this is there's just gajillions of antelope everywhere when you look around there. It's uh, it's kind of like eating, you know, uh, venison. Is it the catch of the day, antelope? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, there's there's several different kinds in fair and market price. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but but on the menus there, seriously, like you go to to these game reserves, and uh, this is what's on the menu for the night. And at first, you're like a little hesitant to try, of course. But I love getting people to try local fare everywhere we go. Yeah. Japan. I yeah, it's part of the experience. Yeah. To dive in. And we go to wineries, we go to, you know, we'll do things like that. I'm looking to do things at uh, distilleries in Scotland and find things that are part of the heritage and the culture and yeah. really go and, and celebrate what's important about that. So really, this, this is a massive effort. And I, I'm very interested in the coordination, going back to, um, you know, vetting companies or the governments that you're going into to get the help. Um, how do you build this network? Like, how long is it taking you to build this network of uh, companies and individuals that help you go? It's, I guess the last six years of my life have been really dedicated to traveling and then getting better known in terms of what you do by having a blog that was doing well when I was more proficient at writing uh, and spending more time doing so and not doing business development stuff. But that got me found and that got me found by tourism boards and you know DMOs that want to bring you to a place to help share the beauty of that place and so they bring you on press trips and then you start meeting journalists oh, you really? start meeting the okay. local government officials you start meeting tour operators and then you just you know you go into linkedin and you join travel associations uh now we're gonna have to start hitting the travel shows uh, so there's uh, wtm in, in london each year world travel mart there's ITB in Berlin and Singapore. Oh darn! Oh, darn, um, you gotta go to these places. Yeah, so it's it's. And these are, so these are these are conventions, basically. So this is where you can actually go and sit down with the the local government officials, like the, the tourism oh, boards. Wow. Talk to them about what you're doing. Share with them how you want to help celebrate, you know, their country. No idea. 
and this oh, is yeah. how this happens. It's you know, you, but you got to be prepared, and you've got to yeah. actually have something of substance to offer them. You can't just go there and say, "Hi, I'm Bob. I want to go to your country." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like, right? Um, even though Bob probably does want to go, but that's where I'll take Bob with right. us. Uh, well, let me do the work for Bob, yeah. and you know that that just makes it so much easier for people who work really hard at what they do and have photography as a passion on the sideline. Um, so I don't want you to have to think about anything. So when you're when you're helping Bob get into a certain country, are you literally gathering everybody's information, passports, all that kind of information, and coordinating all the efforts so they just kind of get to come on the trip? Absolutely. That's part of our responsibility. Uh, we want to make sure that people have the proper insurance. Uh, we want to make sure that you know, we have what about shots and health and all that kind of stuff? And how do you deal with healthcare? Like, if somebody gets hurt and when you're in Namibia, what do you do? Well, we we have again the the right people who are guiding us, who have the the, the right contacts in order to be able to get people you know medevaced out of there if right. you need to. Um, do you require medevac insurance for everybody? So yeah, we require. Uh, I think it's a hundred thousand dollars worth of. Uh, and you know, it's not that expensive. Are those individual policies, or do you? Is it a company policy that you can buy that blanket and covers everybody? No, we have liability insurance, of course, for the right. group and for everything like that. But for medical, so if someone has a heart attack, that's impossible for us to be you know liable for that so if someone does get sick or breaks a leg or something like that um, well then they need medical insurance to be able to do that and so we partner up with world nomads Uh, they're a great travel insurance company Um, and yeah i think it's for 99 bucks they'll they'll cover that trip depending upon conditions and things of that nature and of course if people are over 65 or 70 i think it starts becoming a little more challenging but um, so we need that we need people to be insured we require travel insurance too because you know, if, you know, we're going to Namibia and there's, you know, flooding or if we're going to Vietnam and, you know, there's some kind of disruption of the, you know, if there's a strike, let's say, an airline strike and you can't get into to Hanoi, well, yeah. you know, we, we can't be responsible for that right. either. So travel insurance, of course, is, is vital for So us. there must honestly be a huge checklist of things that have to be done for each tour. How much does it vary from one country to the next? I'm sure the, the core of it is probably all the same. But are there things that vary? If you're going to China versus Africa, are there, are there huge differences in what needs to be done to get your crew there? Depending upon the, the destination, visas may be required, depending upon where you're coming from as well. Um, so places like, you, know, you, you mentioned China, Myanmar, Vietnam require visas to, in order to enter. Uh, shots, you're going to have to, you know, if you're going to Namibia, you're going to need a few shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this stuff is explained in the welcome kits that we give you. And it's, it goes into very great detail in terms of, um, you know, the, the clothing you should bring, the, the amount of luggage you should bring, the equipment that you should bring for photography. Let's say we're going to be in a place like Iceland, we'll shoot less people, obviously, but uh, Namibia, Vietnam, it's a lot of street photography or, or people photography, and uh, in Africa, of course, wildlife photography, and uh, so the requirements change a little bit, but pack light, uh, we try and make sure yeah. that people understand that we're going to be on the road, you have to be responsible for carrying your own gear, um, but that's pretty self-explanatory, and then, you know, even every last nitty-gritty thing down to what kind of plugs they have in the country, uh, whether the water's safe to drink, uh, how we move around, um, you know, just key words to translate mm-hmm. um, in case of an emergency. Uh, God, there's so much to think about. There so is. What's, what's the amount of time that it takes to put together a tour? I guess this is one tour. Is it a nine-month process, six-month process? What have, you, what have you distilled it down to? It all t- depends on who we're partnering with on the ground in those destinations, and it all depends on... Uh, 
the photographer who's running that tour too. So, for example, our, our partner Malcolm in uh, Australia, he's run tours in Southeast Asia for close to a decade now. And that's awesome. Uh, yeah. He comes in with this full experience in how to put together a tour and destinations to go and places to stay. And what we're going to try and do is make sure that we you know, fine-tune it a little bit more to make sure that we're on brand with what we want to offer. These were more workshops that, that he was running, um, which are fantastic, but we want to make sure that, again, there's that celebration of food and culture and all that kind of stuff. And I know Malcolm's excited about joining us and, and making sure that, that we can make that kind of a thing happen. So we're looking at a couple of things that are a little bit different than what he does uh, and then celebrating what he does and mm -hmm. making sure we do it as, as good as we possibly can. Those places, like, like Vietnam, challenging. Uh, again, it's you know, a third world communist country that uh, the rules can change overnight for, for yep. certain things. And then you roll with the punches. So th those are things that you know you have to be very fluid. You can't let. These so so get what are some of the punches? I know I, I'm going to make an analogy, and you tell me if you have this kind of thing. Um, I've had a couple of friends that have adopted children in foreign countries, like Russia. Um, they get there, and then it's a game changer, and they have to out of pocket another four grand that they weren't expecting. Do you run into that type of thing? If if the rules can change in Vietnam overnight, what what are you experiencing? Um, so it's it's even within. The, the country itself. So, for example, Malcolm just got back to me a couple of days ago and said, oh, there's one location in Halong Bay that what we usually do is take a, a boat and go around and then uh, do a tour of the, 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 the islands in, in Halong Bay, which are just stunning. It's a World Heritage Site. It's one of the, I think it's one of the new seven wonders of the world. Um, and it's just a breathtaking experience to be able to sit on one of those barges and just go through this. But now the barges can't land on the island where we usually would stay because there's a fight between that province and the province that's on land. Uh, and so you're not allowed to take a boat and go there. You have to go back onto land, which brings you to a ferry, which doesn't do the whole tour around the islands. Hmm and then take that ferry to go back to the island, which makes absolutely no sense, because you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just a pissing contest between government officials who are trying to make sure that um, they make the most money possible by corrupting the hotel system that they're all invested in financially. So they don't want mm. you staying there on the island, they want you staying on the mainland. And so they're gonna make rules and regulations to make sure that it's difficult for you to. So, you know, the, Bunch the, of babies. Bunch of babies. <laughs> Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this thing, these kinds of things happen all the time in every country, whether it's first or third world. It's just yeah. rules change, and there's so many of them in so many places, which makes it refreshing to be in a place like Iceland where there's very few restrictions in terms of where you can go and how you can photograph, but you have to be very careful because, you know, shit can kill you there. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just one slip that can, you know, get you cascading down a cliff, but you have to be careful and... Uh, we try and make sure, of course, that everyone's very well educated. Has that happened to you before? Um, we've only lost 27 people so <laughs> far. Uh, <laughs> but they're insured, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh. I've had issues, uh, you know, where I've had to talk to people, sometimes even a little sternly, about standing that close to a cliff edge, a crumbly cliff, cliff edge that's, yeah. you know, 300 feet down into a raging river that will... Double murder you. Um, double murder <laughs> you, yeah. You're not just going to be dead. You're going to be double dead. That's bad. So... You know, and people just get so fascinated with seeing this incredible stuff that's happening in front of them that they've never dreamt about seeing. It's easy to get lost in, in terms of thinking, oh, I'll right. be fine. And then start to take a little risk. Yeah. And, you know, we care about everyone that comes with us. We want to have people 
you know, come back and celebrate what they've just experienced. We don't want to be writing, uh, remember your dad letters. Right. Um, no, but it, it's, it's, it's the, the security and safety of everyone on, that comes with us is, you know, our prime concern. And then just think, you know, even if one person gets hurt or something, it, that ruins it for everyone else on the trip too. So it's just, you know, making sure that people have an understanding of what those security and safety issues are. And then everyone has to be an adult about it too. We can't, you know, start tethering people and putting those bright orange yeah. vests on them. And <laughs> <laughs> so Ken, you're pretty much like a social media juggernaut. What is, what is your secret to running your online social media presence? Fix vapor rub. <laughs> <laughs> it does a lot of. It has a lot of uses. I never knew it was good yeah. for social media. So you put it on in the morning or at night. <laughs> that in WD forty, and you're good, baby. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, social media has changed so much over the years. Um, when I got started in all of this, uh, it, I, I got into it like naively and thinking like, well, if anybody else can do it, I can do it, and that still existed as a possibility at that point. Uh, and it still does, but it's, I think, more daunting and more challenging and more frustrating when it doesn't happen and you're doing good work. Um, the blog, I think, is what helped me at the beginning. I was writing, you know, sometimes twice a week, uh, then down to once a week and then slowing it down a bit, but that helped. Um, you know, I had an Alexa rating under 100,000. That's pretty good for a blog. Now it's way above that. But th that, you know, that was what helped me get started and get noticed. And then add to that, the social media. Um, so Google Plus had something to do with that back when it was actually still viable and photographers were doing well with that. Best in peace, Google Plus. Yeah, sayonara. And, uh, you know, Facebook obviously is what Facebook is, and but, you know, that changes from, you know, Facebook allowed you to have a business page at one point, then flip that to your personal, uh, if you're an artist, and allow everyone who was following you on, or who had liked your page to become followers on your personal. Uh, and I did that. Um, and that helped. So having several hundred thousand people following on Facebook is nice. Uh, Instagram is a huge one. And I'll be honest, I love Instagram, but I don't get it um, simply because what can you do with Instagram? You know, you're sharing beautiful pictures. And I think that's fantastic, you know, for people who love looking at beautiful pictures for three seconds. Um, but then it's like, how do you monetize it? How do you actually link to anything? When's the last time I always ask people, when's the last time you actually clicked on something or copied and pasted a link from Instagram into your browser, went to that and bought something or subscribed to yeah. something. Did you see what Instagram is doing this week? No. I think they're, they're rolling out. So the idea is, let's say you have a boutique and in that photo you posted, there's 10 items. So those 10 items, you can then put a price on and you click on it and then it almost swipes left and it shows you that product itself. And then you can actually go to the website. So it's more interactive with like, hmm. it looks like it's great for selling things. Um, I'm not so it's sure. like tagging for product almost. Yeah. So like, it's like Tinder for know. products. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I don't know how, you know, th that might be the only feature or that might be one of uh, a few different features. I don't read articles. I just read the headlines. So <laughs> I can't read. So, so you have an incomplete set of information, yeah. but a good idea of what's happening. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of it, you know, everyone reposted it, you know, it's and you wonder why Trump yeah. got elected. <laughs> Damn it. Those words. Reading makes me sleepy, you know, it happens. <laughs> Well, that's cool. It's nice to see that that's something that's happening. But for the last many years, let's face it, that's not something that could happen. And right. yet that has blown up for people. And now PR yeah. firms are seriously not caring about Twitter, which I think is a wonderful uh, yeah. social media 
uh, entity because of its brevity, um, because you can actually talk to brands on Twitter, yeah. which you cannot do on any other social media, maybe a little bit on Instagram. Um, but even then, I find it much more challenging. So you like Twitter? Oh, I love Twitter. Because I think I think a lot of people are kind of viewing Twitter as starting to fade and kind of oh, it's, it's on I its way it out. I think it is. Um, but I have a feeling they're going to do something that's going to come back. I just think the simplicity of it is is too brilliant. If you should take a look, even and I hate to keep bringing it up this election, but no, but the messages that get out there and you know, getting an understanding of people's personalities comes out pretty darn strong on Twitter. Twitter yeah, yeah, it's face forward. No yeah. question. And it's it's out there and it's immediate and it's gut reaction time for that. Um, to you know, I've made mistakes on Twitter by being a little bit too, you know, vocal about certain things and you know, you hear about it. And when you have a hundred thousand people, you know, who are listening, um yeah. Oops. <laughs> so how ca- how calculated were you in your kind of rise with social media? Was it something where you just started to tell stories, or were you very involved with the analytics, looking at it, figuring out what time of day to post? What was what was your path to you know finding that social media audience? Again, all of these things now, I think I've put a little bit to the wayside while I've been working really hard the last few years on the, on the tours, and I right. need to get back on that. And even my business partner has agreed, like Ken, you got to get back to writing, got to get back to doing those things that got you noticed and mm-hmm. that's going to help our brand too um, and I do miss it I, I, I like the communication I like talking with people I liked opening up doors and avenues uh, in terms of Twitter I think that the Twitter and LinkedIn combination is the most underutilized one that that exists because you find out the people like you can talk to a CEO of a company on Twitter follow them for two weeks throw in a comment once in a while on something they're saying show some interest yep. and then ask a question uh, then maybe they'll follow you if you see they follow you boom you're in you right. can now direct message. Um, then find them on LinkedIn, see if they'll connect with you on LinkedIn. Now's the time to pitch a proposal. Um, you know, make it worth your while. It's, right. People get, I think, a little bit too engrossed with, oh, I got you know, a billion likes on this. Yeah. You can't buy a loaf of bread with likes, but you sure can with that contract you're going to sign with that company who you just found the marketing director of and then followed them on Twitter, spent a little bit of you know, effort doing that, and then contacted them through LinkedIn. Yeah. So you're one of Fuji's shooters. How did that come to, to light? Um, that, that's a, something that's just been such a really wonderful part of the shift in my career, too, is finding you know, amazing companies that are willing to sponsor me. Um, Fujifilm, I think, has played probably the most important role uh, in my career in photography. And I got on board with them very early on in the mirrorless game, so back when they came out with the XE1, uh, it was a good camera, but certainly not of the epic quality that you see in the X-T2 now or the yep. X, um, sorry, X-Pro2 and then, my God, what they just announced in the GFX, uh, the new medium format mm-hmm. mirrorless. That's coming out early next year. I mean, I'm dying to, to see that. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. It's a game changer price-wise for medium format shooters. Yeah. It's going to open all of that up what to What was amateurs. the price? I don't remember. A lens, the viewfinder, which is a really cool... Uh, movable viewfinder that you can shoot from any single angle oh, really? uh, oh, wow. and lens for under 10k That's so awesome. when, you, when you look at you know phase and Hasselblad yeah. and those guys holy cow you know you're looking 50k to start oh yeah well now with Hasselblad's new mirrorless but yeah with yeah. with the with their main bodies their H series yeah absolutely so that that to me has just been a wonderful shift in terms of being able to have a company that believes in me um, you know I'm one of the only people they've designated the 
role of global ambassador too, which is a real honor. Um, you know, so what does that mean? I, I, w I would like for you to give our audience a little definition of what it means to be sponsored by a company. Because I think that every emerging photographer wants that. They're like, oh my God, I want to be sponsored because they think it's free stuff. But that's not really it. So what does being an ambassador for a camera company mean? What are your responsibilities? I mean, obviously you have to be able to, you have to love the gear first of all. I think that's important. If you're, you're going to be disingenuous and just want free stuff and, uh, you know, not even believe in the product and then on the side still use other stuff, it's, it's not going to bode well for you or for that company and that relationship won't last. Right. Um, first and foremost, I, I, for me, I, I really like the people at Fuji, and that's a great place to start. How much do you interact with them? I mean, do you get a, a lot of opportunities to talk with them, talk about product, talk about how to use it? Absolutely. So actually, you know, I go to Japan, I sit down with their designers and engineers, and they, they spend hours taking notes, listening. Uh, wow. And I'm thrilled to say that much of what was discussed in the last few meetings in Tokyo are actual imp, you know, implementations in the new X-T2. And oh, that's awesome. I, I'm blown away. It's like, they did it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and they did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And That's cool. Did they name it after you, the Ken yeah. button? Well, actually, they, they did uh, give us... Uh, they have a Ken doll, but not a Ken button. <laughs> they gave me a, a camera that has my name as the serial number on it. Which oh, is seriously? Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, that's a really nice honor. But in the end, like I say, it's, it's the people that, that really matter in these relationships. There's a lot of great camera companies out there. I'm yeah. never going to be one to say that, oh, you shouldn't you know, be shooting with this camera company or that camera brand. It's like there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, and it's a wonderful time to be a photographer. But for people who do what I do, the travel stuff, you want to pack lighter. You want exceptionally good gear. You want uh, weatherproof, weather-sealed gear. Well, this is a great company for that. Um, and, and they keep making it better and, and one more thing that they do that's just nobody else does is they keep uh the firmware updated on a regular basis even on old models so like this year uh fujifilm announced their x uh xe2s which is like the latest version of that uh, model of camera and just with the firmware upgrade if you had the old version of the camera it's up to about 90 some percent of the capabilities of the new one um, you know, so they've even made it, you know, so that your old camera can become a new camera again. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty awesome. It's like the complete yeah. opposite of what Apple's doing, basically. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, it we, is. How, how heartbreaking is it to, to get rid of a computer that, you know, has everything soldered into it like yeah. an Apple? And I mean, I've been an Apple user my whole life, and I, I love this stuff because that's what I know how to use. But it, it, it does kind of suck when you see that happen, but then a company like Fuji comes along and does this kind of stuff. Yep. That, that's that's refreshing and I think they really you know they, they respect their user base and their yep. clients and they've almost developed this uh, Apple-esque fanboy kind of club um, yep. because of the, the way that people do feel respected by the company and, and by the design and all the little intricate things that they take seriously at Fujifilm and um, so I, I, I love working with them and I, well, they've I, been around a long time too and they've done so many different facets of photography I mean they have really understood film and film emulsions they've really understood how to build a lens and that company just has a pretty storied history people don't realize that even Hasselblad lenses now are made by Fuji yeah, they, film they and make a lot of other products for yeah. other companies my and favorite camera that I own is Fuji Instax there you go do you, do you shoot insects? I have one. I do indeed. We have almost an entire wall filled up. Yeah, it's pretty insects. cool. It's quite expensive. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that takes. I have an entire row of photos 
of just Rob being caught off guard with the Fuji. <laughs> let's let, let, let's uh, let's just say not caught off guard. You're intentionally going after getting the worst images of me possible. Correct. So yeah, <laughs> it's more than just being caught off guard. It's, I think that's why they kind of sabotage <laughs> for that purpose. <laughs> what are your favorite lenses? What do you have a go-to lens, or is it everything? You know, is relative. I think for a landscape and travel photographer that I, I like the wide look you know of things I think that's really a, uh, the best way to present a scene um, so the 10 to 24 uh, f4 from Fuji is a great lens it's super light it's really high quality um, and it's always on one of my cameras um, that new 100 to 400 Fujifilm is, is great too I'm, I've never really been a telephoto shooter I brought that to Namibia with me for the first time and um, then I just feel like I'm naked if I don't have it in my bag, even if it's just that, for that one or two shots that yep. I wouldn't be thinking about otherwise. Um, you know, I also work with Zeissen as an ambassador as well, and the 15 millimeter uh, Milvis lens that uh, was you know just came out this year, and uh, that whole series of lenses is just epic. Uh, they're just so well made, so robust, yep. um, so sharp. I, I I love those lenses a lot. So I still do shoot with DSLRs a little bit because of my relationship with Zeiss, but also because, um, you know, especially when I was working with Fuji in the early days, the, the megapixels, which mattered still, you mm -hmm. know, from 11, 16, that just wasn't enough to do the full 40 by 60 type prints that you want to do or stuff like that. So now with the massive, you know, amounts of megapixels you can get like in the in the Canon uh, DSR, uh, that that's up to 50 megapixels so that that helps me be able to accomplish that for clients as well if they want major blow-ups uh, but now with the new fuji this is going to be a game changer again it's a 50 megapixel and it's going to be not the compressed megapixels of a smaller sensor on a dslr so really good times to be a photographer you mentioned the hasselblad mirrorless you, you know so these people are all keeping each other checks and balances on the, on their toes and wanting to innovate and do cool things and um yeah, I think the shift now, you know, for the last decade, it's really been a race for megapixels. It's been how big can we, we get these sensors? And I think that is, is ceasing. It's going to slow it, down. It's, we're hitting 100 megapixels, which, my God, is an enormous amount of information and data. And if you're shooting a bunch, it's just crazy. So I think that race has stopped, and now it's building cameras that have more features and are basically more intuitive for, for Dynamic users. Dynamic ranges. Yeah. Dynamic ranges coming around, oh. too. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Fuji's doing well, Sony's doing well, Nikon's doing well, other companies are lagging. Um, and even then, it's like, just to, to get more and more and more in terms of that is fantastic. And to see, you know, us approaching on, a, on the DSLR side, uh, medium format type of mm -hmm. uh, dynamic range is exciting for everyone. You know, to be able to pull shots out, two, three stops, four stops, that just you could never do that and then that's something like with film that's just an absolute technical impossibility zone system <laughs> yeah right i mean yeah. i read all the books i worked as a darkroom technician for many years at the start yeah. of my career and uh god i never want to go back into that yeah I know, there's <laughs> something really nice about digital oh, it's, yeah, it's the roots of photography are fascinating and they were fun but it's we do live in a very exciting time for photography yeah, it's absolutely. more competitive than ever. It's more difficult than ever, but it's also uh, more exciting than ever. But I think that also pushes you and challenges you to be as good as you possibly can be, and you're not going to be right. complacent. A lot of people I worked with or worked for back in the 90s you know, could not make that jump from film to digital. 
and that killed their careers absolutely dead in the water they just couldn't handle it and some of them were really arrogant about it too and, and you know oh, this is a fad it's never going to last and i don't need to learn it and it's like <laughs> sucker <laughs> right <laughs> like, and thank you because that allows other people to pick up the reins and, and just go 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 right um who knows it may be something that totally prevents me from continuing doing what i'm doing but while i still can and i still have you know the passion and, and the the will to want to learn more and i think that's the key is you gotta you always have to be willing to learn and you have to like learning new things and you can't always think that your way is the best way because someone's going to come up with something that's going to blow your socks off and you're going to look at it and go damn i've been doing it wrong all these years but it could be something they just figured out as well so um new technologies new techniques um, I love learning from other photographers. Hell, I'll even learn stuff from people who come on tours with me and they do that one little thing that like, oh, yeah, okay, that's good. I'm going to steal that. I think that's <laughs> one of the greatest parts of being an educator is what you learn from your students, you know, because they always teach you something if you're paying attention. Yeah, and, and there's another thing about, you know, lo- making sure that your ego doesn't get in the way of uh, learning uh, mm-hmm. because you think you know better or know more or don't need to learn more. Right. And I've seen that in a lot of photographers who think that, you know, their way is the only way and they're better than other people. And it's like, we take pictures, man. It's not, right. it's not like we're curing cancer. We're just doing something that is fun and beautiful and we're privileged to be able to be in that position. And now to be able to share that with other people, you know, that, that to me, again, is just such a great position to be in because these are the people, too, that are now looking for ways to monetize their images, even if they make 10 bucks, you know, on a license that to me would have been like, are you insane? Ten, you know, 10 years ago, I was shooting stock photography and I had to stop because, well, 2008, a lot of things had to stop um, with the economic downturn. But all the stock agencies were being bought up by Corbis and Getty. And mm-hmm. that happened to me with one of the companies I was working with that I was doing most of my work with. And everybody got fired uh, who worked at that agency. All the photographers that were associated with the agency lost their contracts. And had to find something else to do and you know now these agencies are accepting not just images from a select few contracted photographers but anyone who's got nice images right. yep. and that makes sense for them uh you can be mad at that and i was for a long time but now instead of worrying about that those people who are submitting their pictures and making a few bucks here and there off of yep. them they're my clients adobe's pushing stack hard I see yeah they are ads everywhere and they, they've they i've like gotten solicitations from them about joining their quote-unquote stock yeah you know it's they're they're really pushing it. Yeah, there there still is money to be made, but you have to be this behemoth entity. I mean, if Bill Gates could it's volume it run, yeah, uh, with Corbis, and he tried, you know, and he's that's a lot of people don't know this, but he owned Corbis for you know from the inception. It was this private company. It wasn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, Bill Gates owned Corbis. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. So and, wow, and his home secret. is like filled with giant screens that rotate that he changes that yeah that's interesting he has a passion for photography which is really interesting you know and he bought all these archival uh libraries as well uh or sorry archive uh libraries as well from the dating back to the inception of photography to you know civil war uh wet plates all this stuff and he had this stuff stored in a mine in pennsylvania for temperature control and um so he really took charge in terms of doing cool things to preserve the history of photography as well um, and you know, hats off to him for doing it for so long while losing money at doing it. Is he out uh, of it now completely? Yeah, they sold um, to this company in China this year, and now now all of that runs through Getty actually, okay. which is like 
crazy because that to me I just don't understand how you can do that how that can't be construed as a monopoly um, and it's a good question yeah so I don't know if there's going to be con they're, they're, like when Jupiter Images the company I was working with in Los Angeles got purchased by Getty they had to have a congressional investigation into it right. in order to make sure that there wasn't monopolistic you know possibilities of, of you know that happening with Getty but Corbis still existed so that was the check and balance and all that Getty was still probably 75% of the industry at that time. So yeah, now, my God, they're like in the yep. upper 90s, um, which I don't think really serves anyone that that great. But that's the sign of the times, and this is. And you, you have know, to adapt to it, or you're yeah. out. And and how can you fight it? You know, try right. and get a bunch of photographers together to to fight something is like herding cats. Um, <laughs> photographers don't have the attention span. That's for sure. Nor nor do they agree on you know what 50% gray is. So right. it, it's a matter of getting Valid people to, to talk to each other. And we tried this back in 99 um, when all these agencies were starting to be bought up. So I was with a little agency called Sharpshooters at the time. And then there was, um, I think it was Tony Stone and the Image mm -hmm. Bank and all those yeah, guys yeah. that were all being like either picked up by Corbis or Getty left, right and center. Um, and uh, sharpshooters got picked up by by Corbis, and so we had a group of photographers who were negotiating collectively with Corbis, and in the end, it just ended up being sign or contract, or you're gone. And everyone's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, but what can you do? You can't fight these people, um, not if you can't stand together. And let's face it, everyone is replaceable. Uh, yeah. And they'll find new people who are willing. And then there's young kids today who are just such damn good photographers. And don't necessarily have the business wherewithal to be able to stand up for themselves. And they'll learn eventually. But if that's the case and that's what makes stock what it is today, find something else to do. Um, there They're are damn good photographers because the equipment's so damn good. You know, well, that's, that's one of the things. It's better than ever before. Oh, my God, yeah. But at the same time, you got to, you know, you can hand anyone a, a Stradivarius, but they ain't going to be able to play it that's true. so well. So, yeah. People say, oh, you, you know, you're a good photographer. You must have a good camera. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that was a great meal. You must have a good frying pan. Yeah. You know, it, right. It's the same kind of deal. And yes, the technology sure does help. And this is an art form that uh, you can get away with learning much mm -hmm. more. Um, you know, my girlfriend's son has a, a tendency to be able to pick up any kind of art form and just run with it and be exceptional. Like, whether it's sculpture, whether it's, you know, video, whether it's, painting, drawing, whatever, and, and it's like, wow, music. And that kind of blows me away, that kind of inherent talent that you have within your soul. Photography, you can learn. It's, a, it's, it's, it's part technology, part art, um, and part you know, blood, sweat, and tears to mm -hmm. put the effort into it. And I think that's what makes it what it is today, and that's why it's exploding Yeah, that's so why it's much. so accessible. Right. Because now it's affordable, and you, know, you, you can learn this stuff, obviously through things like you know the videos that you guys do yeah um, there's a lot of free it. stuff online as well to learn um, and then just learn from other people who I, I love seeing like on our tours for example other people who are maybe a little bit more proficient at you know the techniques will actually also go and help people who are you know struggling a little bit more and, and well, people who help each other out like wow that you're here to shoot but you're helping other people out oh what, so nice. what is the Aww. skill level range of your tours I mean how, how much does it vary? We've had everything from you know, retired professionals um, to people who literally will bring a point-and-shoot camera. And I don't want anyone to ever think that you can't bring you know, 
that kind of a camera, bring your right. iPhone, I don't care. You're going to be living an amazing experience, first and foremost. You're going to go back with epic memories. And to me, the most amazing memories are usually the behind-the-scenes shots anyway of the people hanging out together and having fun together and doing all that stuff. Right. And the other images are, you know, those are your portfolio ones. Those are the ones that you're proud of in terms of the technique of photography that you do. Um, but we've had you know, even couples that show up, and one's a photographer, one's not, and the other one just has a great time enjoying being in amazing places. How often you know, would you, if you're not a photographer, go to you know, the, the Roman Colosseum or Sagrada Familia in Barcelona and, and just go there at 4.30 in the morning waiting for sunrise and have that place all to yourself? Yeah, that's a unique experience. And, people and aren't doing that. Yeah, so this is what I think opens up the eyes of those people too, and they, they're like, expecting me rolling their eyes every time their husband or wife is like taking another picture. Like, oh my God, <laughs> here we go, another sunrise. But they don't get it until they spend a little bit of time and see that gentle fog rolling in, you know, right. just as the sun is creeping up over the horizon. Uh, it's magic, it really is. And to be able to share that, whether you have a camera or not, that's gonna be burnt into the synapses. You know, you're gonna have that yeah. as a lifelong memory. So as we start to kind of wrap up our talk, tell us a little bit about some of your favorite places to go and where are you guys going next year? What are the tours that you have planned already? So I always say my favorite place is the next place because you, know, you that, haven't been there yet. <laughs> and, and that's uh, the excitement of adventure and, and exploration. And that's kind of why we gravitated towards the word discovery for discovery photo tours. Yeah. Is we want to be able to discover new places and share those with people uh not well, what just are some standards. of those what are those new places you haven't been that you want to get to scotland is is definitely up there um because i think while you know people may have been to glasgow or edinburgh uh definitely up north and getting closer to the highlands and mm -hmm. even the shetlands and then even further north if you go up to the faroe islands which is obviously not scotland but another country um there, there's just amazing uniqueness in, in those places uh, and those are the places that are challenging to get to more likely if you're looking to do that on your own. So allow us to facilitate that for you. And we want to try and build that kind of a tour. Right. Um, you know, next year we're starting off with uh, Iceland, Italy, um, Vietnam, Norway, Jordan. Jordan's huge. I've you know been a big proponent of, of that country for so long because um, you know the, they, they've been good to me there and, mm -hmm. and it's such a misunderstood part of the world and especially for i think people who live in the u.s um they have this fear of the middle east and they really don't need to because this is a an extremely welcoming country that uh is very tolerant in terms of you know r religious uh you can you know th there's a small christian minority there as well there's jewish people that live there um and all the muslim people that i've met whether they're you know bedouins in the desert or you know, cosmopolitan Arabs living in the cities, the, the, the word that comes to their lips the most often when meeting a Westerner is the word welcome. Uh, and that to me is something I really love to be able to share with people who have this great right. misconception about. Yeah, you've talked a lot about Jordan and you're, I mean, that's a country where you've really gotten to know the government, the people, you're very connected in a sense with that, with that country. It's, and it's you have been, to take me there. Okay, yeah. I want to go. Well, I think I think that's a place that we could really do something special in terms of sharing 
um, some cool photography techniques and some really right. cool locations that no one else really even has access to. And that's one of the beautiful things that these relationships offer you. And it's kind of like I was talking about earlier about the relationship I have with Fujifilm. It's about the people. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in Jordan. It's about the people that I've met there and the people that I've you know, grown to know and love and have a relationship with in terms of business and cultural understanding and wanting to celebrate what they have as something special in their country. Um, and so it, it always, you know, brings a smile to my face when I think about the experiences that we offer people in epic locations like floating on the Dead Sea, which is, you know, the lowest point on Earth and the most saline uh, body of water on the face of the planet. It's the lowest point on Earth? Yeah, it's the lowest point on Earth. Huh. So for some reason, I don't know exactly the technical terms, I'm sure you can Wikipedia this, but um, you can't sunburn there. You um, cannot sunburn mm -hmm. there? Why not? Wait, what? I, I don't get it, but you just don't need sunscreen. You don't burn at all. You, I don't know what the heck it is, but it's just amazing. You get into that water, too, and, I mean, you see this at the malls and, and little shops and stuff. They have that Dead Sea salt, right. uh, you know, cosmetics and, and scrubs and all that kind of stuff. There, it's just, that's the whole sea. You know, you get in it, and you, you have these clay pots about three feet high that they fill with that mud that you probably pay, you know, 30 bucks for a little jar of at the right. mall. And you can just coat your whole body head to toe. Well, that's why you stuff. don't burn. You're covered in mud. <laughs> <laughs> that, that slides off after a while. And that's one yeah. of the nice things. You get into the water and it just comes off and your skin feels like butter. And you cannot sink no matter how hard you try. Um, it's just this amazing... You also can't world. put your face in there, right? It'll you burn cannot. the hell out of your eyeballs. Yeah, so they, 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 they make sure they tell you don't shave. Uh, the day before. Oh, yeah, if you have a cut, you'll be screaming, won't you? Oh, yeah. Not in your eyes, and oh, my God, not in your mouth. Uh, you just don't want that. That's very painful and very disgusting. <laughs> but it's, it's really cool, and it's just such a ethereal kind of place to be. And again, if you get up and you're there first thing in the morning and can float alone on the Dead Sea, my God, that's one of my favorite travel memories of all time. Yeah. I got to the Dead Sea uh, the day before, and it was just like being in Cancun almost. You know, you're, there's all these people screaming and whooping it up and having a great time. Hey, that's, that's great. You're having fun. I was expecting this moment of zen and serenity. And so I made my own. I just got up at, you know, 5.30 in the morning, walked down to the water, and nobody here. And, and you would try and do this. I try and encourage everyone in the group to come down and, you know, have that solemn, beautiful right. moment in the morning where they can really just relax and, and have that quiet um, then Petra, I mean, my God, what can you say about Petra? This yeah. is just some of the most epic, you know, historic areas on the face of the planet. Uh, wonderful histories there. Uh, wonderful shooting opportunities that we provide people that nobody else has access to. Um, and much of it's still undiscovered. They actually just, thanks to drones, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see this, I think, in more places. They just discovered this massive new, uh, whether it's a pyramid or something in, in the middle of, of Petra and Jordan, uh, I mean, that's probably going to be a hundred-year excavation that's going to have to take place wow. to, to be able to uncover that. But it's such a large area. I think it's something like 250 square kilometers. Um, and, and a drone discovered this? Uh, yeah, it was an aerial photo, so I'm assuming it was a drone. Whoa. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, cool. So as much as people are fighting against drones, you know, this is this is the beauty of what drones can offer is, you know, these un undiscovered places that can well, be discovered now. It's also cool to think that there's still places in this world that are undiscovered. You know, when you think about your daily life in a very civilized place, you know, quote unquote, where you're um, living in a city and there's Walmarts and whatever, you don't think about the possibility that there are places yet untouched. And, and I think we're going to start 
getting a little bit away from those places that are the icons because everyone who is a traveler at least is going right. to have been there already and then you're going to want that that next thing and what is the next thing and so people are gravitating towards a little more adventurous stuff um, for example Antarctica is becoming much bigger now um, and that's certainly a place that I want to look into if I've had clients that I've worked for who run uh, ships down to Antarctica and it's just a matter of finding the right way to do this it's not an inexpensive thing to do right um, and then to be able to do it properly and make sure that we can concentrate on the photography aspects of it the way we would like to um, but you know it's it's a challenge to get there and I think people are looking for more adventurous things if you go on a cruise ship to, to Antarctica it's like oh that well that's pretty simple but I've had friends crossing the Drake who've had you know massive storms that everyone's getting seasick on and other people who said it was as calm as glass I've even had a colleague I know who uh, whose ship sank uh, wow. crossing the Drake, and yeah, no one was no one was killed. But uh, you know, thirty six hours in a lifeboat in the middle of uh, the Antarctic Ocean. Oh that's, man, that's pretty crazy. That's a tale Holy to tell. Shit. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you. And you know, people live through this kind of stuff more and more and more. You look at you know, even just a hundred years ago, we're talking about you know, Bird and Adamson and all these people going down you know to Antarctica and. Uh, Shackleton, uh, you know, doing this stuff that is just beyond insane. And now, you know, anyone can do it by just buying a ticket. Same thing for climbing Mount Everest and going to the North Pole and, uh, you know, going into the largest caves in the world and spelunking. You know, th this was all specialty stuff that people who had years of training only could be able to do. And today that's opened up to pretty much anybody who's fit enough to be able to do these things. And so I want to find ways to throw a photography aspect into those as yeah well. honestly i could i could talk to you about the stories of your adventure all day but i actually want to get out there and do some of these adventures so uh tell us tell our audience again where they can find you and uh how they can join in well the the new company is called discovery photo tours will be launching on the 21st of november so you can look for us at discoveryphototours.com um definitely on social media if you just Look me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. It's all under my name, Ken Kamineski. Um, and uh, I do promise I will start writing on my blog again very shortly <laughs> once all of this stuff is launched. And you got to come through now. Now I got to come through. And so I'm trying to put actual pressure on myself to do that because I miss telling the stories. I miss, and it's it's not even for anybody else. It's so that it's almost like my memoirs a little bit to be able to put that down and look back years later and go, oh my God, I forgot I even did that kind of thing. Or right. there's some pictures that were really special to me. And each picture does have a story behind it. And um, to be able to have that mean something to me is fantastic and have that inspire somebody else uh, is equally amazing. I, I love getting uh, emails, especially from students and kids who uh, see this and, and they're inspired and they want to you know, they, they, they want to travel to these places that we've been to. They want to pick up a camera for the first time, and, and they're inquisitive and excited. Uh, that That's something I never expected that would happen in right. my life, that I could actually inspire people to do something really cool, step out of their comfort zone, and take those chances like I did. Yeah. And I didn't for a long period of my life. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think that I could accomplish anything. And then sometimes you know necessity is the mother of invention and when you're put in a position where you've got to make some big life changes and choices make them right um, and instead of asking, there's a reward there for you the, there's hopefully. a potential reward yeah hopefully. and you'll not get that potential reward if you don't try 
So, you know, you, I think Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Absolutely. And that's something that, you know, made m my life what it is today, is taking some chances. And you'll screw up and you'll make other choices and you'll fix that or learn what not to do. And then you'll move on and do something that you're supposed to do. And the universe whispers, you have to be listening. Yeah. Oh, I like that. How excited are you for the matching outfits we're about to all go get, all 20 of us? Oh, my God. <laughs> See, my whole career. It, all night. it depends on if they're lederhosen or not. <laughs> we're in Puerto Rico, Rob. <laughs> What's the matter with you? That's why, that's why it would be weird and unexciting. <laughs> it's all coming to this point where my career has you know led me to this one point of matching outfits yes. in Puerto Rico here and I'm, I'm <laughs> like, here guys go. I'm I'm tingling I'm I'm like I'm so let's let's well let's, let's get going <laughs> all right well again thank you so much for coming down and thanks for hopping on this podcast thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it guys yeah, we appreciate your perspective and your stories they're fascinating thank you all right over and out we'll see you guys later. Well, that's all she wrote for this one. Thanks for listening. I get out of here and start shooting. This podcast is officially over. Over and out. Catch you next time, dude. RGGEDU is my dad said I could. You millennials don't have time for a three-year mentorship. You need the info now, darn it.